everyone, welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cockburn. Of course, I want to introduce and welcome back my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenley. Good morning, Rob. How are you? I'm doing fine, Todd. It's uh, it's it's another Sunday. It uh, is back back doing doing the new media show again. It's uh, you know, I think we're uh, we're slowly transitioning to being being a show that's on Saturdays um, or Sundays. <laughs> well, I, I know that it was uh, interesting to wake up yesterday morning at six fifteen in a mild panic because I said, oh, and, I, and then I was like, oh, I don't have to get out of bed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I know it. It totally turns into this, this habit. It's built into our schedules, right? Yeah. And I think that's the key to, to marathon po- podcasting. Like I keep talking about on, on on a lot of shows that I'm doing these days, um, just about how this is a marathon run. It's not a sprint. Yes. And <laughs> uh, and this is a this is a marathon that uh, for me at least usually starts at 5 a.m. I'm looking for you know I'm looking forward to your for your clocks to change here in the fall because. Then I get in, I, I don't have to get up to six because we start at seven then. But anyway, so everyone, welcome to the show. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, Rob, uh, we've been busy. <laughs> I mean, just extraordinarily uh, busy. July yeah. was, uh, I don't know about you guys, I don't know what you can say, but we had a, had a big month in July. And July's normally not a, uh, you know, like a peak business month for podcasting, but it just, uh, a pretty good month. I, things are not slowing down at all. Yeah. I would say things have been growing pretty, pretty rapidly on the content side. That, that's mainly what you're talking about. It's just a lot of people launching shows and getting out there and wanting to build their own little networks. I know there was an article that came out in pod to pod, and we can talk about that a little bit later about, um, how magazines can start building podcast networks. And so I think that there's a lot of areas that have um, kind of been tapped, but maybe not tapped to the full potential. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. Is that This is an explosive content phase for the industry. So with, with that uh, being said, it's um... – you know, like I think I said this a couple of shows ago, we're seeing a major explosion internationally, at least our businesses. Yeah. And, uh, yep. you know, yeah, so yeah. Mike's been dealing with, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to keep track now of all the places people call in from support. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. We never heard from folks in some countries that we are hearing from now too. Yeah, no, it's been, I would say on the speaker side, it's probably 40, 45% of our business is coming outside of the U S now. Yeah. So it, I, and that, that number is increasing. So I would agree with you. So, the world is catching on. Todd. Yes, they are. And good, <laughs> and good thing. It's, you know, it's, it's good all around. So no complaints, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it was, it was busy. We'll see how, how August goes, but, uh, and it seems like a lot of the news and this is something that I've uh, kind of honed in on because I was looking at, uh, you know, all the normal sites that we go to to get, you know, stories for the show and stuff. And it's just about, like you said, content, networks, um, lots of people hiring, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, it, it, again, it, it seems like every day there's something that's being announced on some, some sort of content site. So I, I will say this. For the average podcaster, though, 
that doesn't have an NPR or have a Gimlet Media or um, a Wondery or someone like that to to push their shows. You know, I've always understood the value in you know building a network. You know, you and you and I were part of one of the first networks that was in podcasting. We built the Tech Podcast Network, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you came in pretty early on that. I I don't remember did. Yeah, I don't think you were on. We're one of the original thirteen, but still, we found a lot of value in those early, early days of mm-hmm. you know cross promoting and all that stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, I I came in. I think towards the you know after you had formed your initial group and 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 joined and and I know you were trying to do some advertising back then. Yeah, even way back then. Yeah, we were, and actually, oh. we were doing more advertising then we're doing than we're doing now. So uh, that's the weird thing about it. But as far as mm-hmm. the tech side goes, the um, yeah. and and you yeah. know, really, it's just um, I think because we've done it so long, and the everyone that is been continues to do their shows, it has been second nature to us. You know, I still promote the network on my show, and and uh, hopefully, people go over there and, and find you know, like-minded tech shows. So, but, uh, it, it's hard doing a network. It's, it's, it's hard, 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 hard work. And for anyone that's thinking about starting one, let me give you a piece of advice. There can be only one boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So are you, you going to go back to CES? This year, or are you yeah. starting to think about that again? Yeah, we're this year we're going to do a little different deal. I've uh, already been talking to the. Let me put this keyboard down. I got my Mac keyboard in my lap here. Uh, we're going to go this year as um, a, a singular focus, uh, focus on startups. So we're going to actually um, get a uh, broadcast area in the sands. And we hope it's going to be in there, one of the broadcast towers. It's just from a security and cost standpoint, it's much, much cheaper. It's like $10,000 cheaper for me to do it that way. And we're going to focus solely on the startup space. So there's 800, 900 companies there that are all just like, some of them are there, you know, have maxed out their credit cards to be there and people are launching. And so we're going to be strictly covering the startups this year and we will do some live we're going to probably do we're not going to do 10 hours of live i'm never doing that again um but we you know 10 hours live every day for for four days that's yeah uh, oh my yeah yeah you need a 10-day vacation after that the um and you don't want to talk for two weeks the um we'll probably do four maybe five hours a day break it up so we can have some lunch and uh, have a morning segment, have an afternoon segment, and then uh, have uh, guests come to our little broadcast area. And, and plus, we've got some new tech. We've got these wireless. Uh, it basically works on part of the spectrum that's been licensed now to allow us to do live video. So I can have a camera like as much as a quarter mile away and wirelessly send it back to uh, the studio. So we're going to be able to do man on the street interviews where we'll be able to patch in, you know, an interview where we're doing someone right there in, in front of them. So I'm excited about being able to do that. So, yeah, in that 
technology is uh, still expensive, around five thousand dollars. But you don't have to rent it. You know, you can you can buy it and it's yours. You know, mm-hmm. take any special equipment. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, it does take a special equipment, but it's a one time purchase and, you, and you, you've got it forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a great, great way to do it. Yep. So, but we can't. So catch- I'm expecting. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm expecting CES to be as as bigger, bigger than ever. Yeah. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's not getting any smaller. So uh, we just can't yeah. cover it all anymore. You know, I, I would need four teams the size of our normal team to do it. You know, we were there at, at the peak with 23, 24 people and still couldn't get it all. So it's, it's a, oh, you know, you just, you, you can only do what you can do at this point. And yeah. I look back at, you know, having covered that show for 10 plus years now and having done 3,000 interviews uh, over those 10 years amongst the entire group, you know, that's a lot of face-to-face and it, it all kind of becomes a blur. So um, last year's focus was more quantity, I mean, more quality than quantity. Uh, we'll probably have a mix this year of, you know, because you're never going to know when it comes to startups if this stuff is going to make sense or not or resonate with consumers and if they're going to be successful. Yeah. But, no, that's true. But for those of you that haven't been hung out on this show very much, you know, this is for those of you that wonder why we're talking about this. Um, and we've talked about this before. This is a content strategy that I've used to uh, help build audience share. So, you know, I do my typical tech show twice a week. And then uh, I go to these events like NAB and New Media Show. And now more than often going to NAB, I'm actually guest, not, I'm being a guest on different programs but for um for ces we basically go in and get supplementary content that we put in a different channel and i call it the special media feed that we have that's all ces videos or anything that we do special throughout the year and it doesn't uh doesn't feed into my regular podcast um feed that stays pure but we give the audience this opportunity to to listen or to watch uh, and go through these this content. And we have a whole strategy on SEO and working with the um, people that we've interviewed and, you know, basically to build momentum towards those videos. And average we've done, you know, at the low end, 30 million, at the high end, 65, 66 million views on anywhere between 150 and 300 interviews at any given CES. And what we do in those is we make sure we say, Hey, this is you know who I am, what show I am. I, you know, we promote the podcast within the video and then we have trickle over into the, um, uh, trickle over into the actual, uh, regular podcast to build audience. So, and it, it's something that it's a gift that keeps on giving. And even though I go and spend quite a bit of money to do that event, it pays off on the back end. My new listeners, new contacts, all that stuff. So, do you cross promote in both channels, each other's channel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, and it's all on the same website, so it's you know, yeah. it's I'm not having to send people off to some to YouTube or something. We we produce and we put the videos up as YouTube, but 
um, they're on geeknewscentral.com. So they're actually on that, you know, on my brand. And uh, every every person that's there, like uh, if, you know, Daniel J. Lewis has come with this for years before and he'll, you know, he'll promote his show. And, and then, you know, all the different hosts that come in because it's not just me. It's, uh, you know, uh, we've got a you know, as many, we've had as many as 10 different podcasters in their crews, um, F5 Live, you know, and they come with five people themselves to, to cover the show. And they're all, they're all promoting their shows, but we're all kind of working collectively and, and sharing resources to get the job done. So it's, um, it, it's really collaborative and it's really kind of, uh, uh, it's you know folks that come from tech podcasts primarily. So do you think, Todd, that there's other other shows that could tap into this type of strategy? Yeah, other every, other you know, other topic areas. You know, all these folks that do podcasting shows, you know, they better be hot and heavy doing interviews at Podcast Movement or FinCon or going to this event, this pod summit in Seattle, you know, they better be there. If they, if they do a show about podcasting, about new media and here I am talking, this is what we do. They better be there doing interviews for their show, you know, or lining up interviews. And for us, we, the vendors there, you can get it while it's hot. You know, if you can get the CEO of the company to step up, you, you know, they're very rarely available, but when you're there with a press badge and they see it's a press, well, they have more of a tendency at that point to step up to the camera. But, you know, we do video at those events. Not every uh, podcaster is going to want to do video. But with DSLRs doing great video these days, it's, you know, if you've got a, you know, a, a Nikon or a Canon and or even one of these new Sony cameras that do video, they do incredible video. You just need to be able to wirelessly get them hooked up. And it is a little bit of investment, but all this extra content and you know one feeds off the other so if you have a tra- if there is a trade show you know how many trade shows are there you rob hundreds right oh yeah across the country there's so there's trade shows on on concrete there's trade shows yeah. on <laughs> all sorts of topic areas right so whatever your podcast topic areas you know you need to figure out which trade show is associated maybe you go to it already um, and if you do, then do you want to go as an attendee or do you want to go as press? Um, it's not a good idea to have an attendee badge and doing interviews though. They kind of frown upon that. So make sure you apply for, for press credentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the last time I was down in Las Vegas, I, I heard that the largest conference or convention that's in Las Vegas is, is a concrete show. As far as <laughs> attendance goes? About- well, yeah, yeah. Well, they come yeah. to they come to Vegas more. They come to Vegas not only for concrete, Rob. It's, oh, I'm sure it's about all, yeah. all of the equipment and all of the evening the events. And, and, yeah. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's about techniques. I think it's about coming, seeing the gear, hanging out with buds, drinking beer, and going to the strip bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. And you can see, yes, has a true. certain amount of that too. You know. Yes. Uh, we yes. live in a politically correct world now, so maybe maybe not so much of the latter. But uh, you know, yeah. definitely, uh, you know, if I I get dozens and dozens and dozens of dinner interviews, and so now I I'm I can be real picky on 
which which dinners or evening events i could i you know i could literally go all day uh, put this camera gear in the car drive to an event and and bounce every hour to a different event and sometimes in the same hotel and it's you know it's food poo poos uh, you know cocktails and socializing but I'm 53, and by the time I've been on the floor for 10 hours already, all I want to just go back to the room and face plant and not party. So, um, yeah, you know, so you really, if you're going to do an event, you got to figure out how to do both and not collapse and not have a heart attack over the deal. So, you know, when I was 10 years younger, we went all night. You know, we ran. We we didn't get back to the room until midnight, one o'clock, and then had to be up at 5 a.m. So. Uh, yeah. I just can't do it no more. But, uh, you know, if you've got that kind of stamina and you're young enough to do it, uh, uh, it's fun, you know, but, uh, and there's lots of opportunities to network and meet people and, but, uh, and you, you get yourself established too. It's all about, you have to, you have to put in the time. You can't go there year one and expect to get, you know, it's, it's cumulative. You're, Year after you, you know, year one, year two, maybe by year three, you're all of a sudden you've got five dinner invitations. You know, hey Todd, do you think it's worth it to do video now uh, as part of your podcast? I mean, like what we do here. Um, I mean, is it worth the investment? Is it worth the the complexity to do video these days? I mean, it it seems like more and more people are just doing audio these days, but yeah, just. Just curious what you think in the big picture. Well, I you know I've established it with my audience. I'm 60-40, so 60% watch, listen, 40% watch. So for me, it's worked out. But that first year, you know, I've talked about it many times. I wondered, because I started doing video, I think, around episode 650. And to be honest with you, I don't know why I started it to begin. Well, I think I do. I think I remember it was basically... I want to be able to talk about the process of doing video and become an authority on it. But that first year, it was you know, very few numbers. You know, well, plus, I think, uh, didn't you start getting involved in thinking about set-top boxes? And, oh, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And that's what maybe was part of that. Yeah, and we had apps or channels 13, 14, and 15 on the Roku so we were really early. There's 4,000 plus channels now on Roku. So we were very early on the Roku scene. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, you know, I still get a fair number of people that watch the show on Roku now, uh, yeah. both on Blueberry and on Tech Podcast. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, that was part of it. But at the same time, too, the, um, you know, YouTube was really ramping up and, you know, we got to remember when we started podcasting, uh, YouTube was not not very much of a thing. Or did it was even YouTube even around in two thousand? But what year did YouTube start? I can't even remember. I think it was like in the two thousand seven eight range. I think. Yeah. So, you know, there was so yeah. So you were a couple of years into podcasting yeah, before YouTube yeah. even took off. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like I said, yeah. YouTube had started to kind of kick off and. There was no YouTube Live, and we did. I used Amazon Web Services to stream the, the show. But I've always streamed. I've always been live, even from day one. You know, I went. I didn't do. You know, in in in, and I've said this many many times. Live, 
requires you to become a better content creator. Because it's harder to edit video than it is to edit audio. Of course, I've never edited it anyway. Well, you tend to create a little bit of a different show format. I think this this show is a little bit of an example of that. Um, though I do know people that are pretty structured in their their, their live shows, mm-hmm. and and um, you know it's all over the map too, Todd. I mean, it's it, it's been really amazing to me over the years to to see how individual shows can be so different um, in how they're produced, uh, how the audience connects with those shows. I mean. I, I've seen live shows, just audio can gather, you know, thousands of people listening to them at the same time and, and exchanging comments, you know, like six to 7,000 comments in like an hour and a half program that's live. It's just, and then those same shows sometimes are not even podcasts. They're all they do is live. Um, I mean, they're on demand afterwards, but it's all streaming there. There's no downloading available of some of these programs and they're still hugely popular. So it's, you know, there's so many different ways that you can do this stuff and there's no one way or one simple answer to this stuff. And it's just been amazing to me over the years to see that and being on a platform, you know, working on a platform like Spreaker, it's, it's, it, it really exposes all that stuff. Um, of how much diversity there is and how people approach doing uh, a live online show, whether it's live on YouTube or live on Facebook or live on Spreaker. And then they do, you know, just, you know, have that engagement with the audience. And that's the common thread that I've seen over, over the years is shows that, uh, become popular online, um, especially live ones. Um, they typically have really engaged audiences and it's, and it changes the 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 experience of listening to those programs because um, oftentimes the hosts are talking to the audience, right? Yeah, As comments correct. Come in. It, it, yeah, it's more of a two way conversation. It's not, you know, me just talking to, you know, just sharing my thoughts. It's it's the exchange that makes those programs valuable. And and oftentimes the the other thing that happens is that the audience connects with each other and they, they develop friendships. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you look in the comment threads, those conversations in the comment threads are not necessarily about what's being talked about in the show. They're being, those comment threads are, are those listeners talking to each other about other things, Hmm. not just what's going on in the program. Um, so you're really creating a community of people and those, those people either want to talk about what, you know, what the show's about, or they just want to talk amongst themselves about things that have nothing to do with the program. Right. And you're just f- facilitating their connection is what you're doing. And that's kind of the, the other more advanced aspect that I've seen in these big communities that gather around shows is that those, those connections extend beyond just the program. Um, and that's, that's when you start really, connecting at a really deep level with your audience too, because then those people associate your program with other friendships that they have, um, or other connections that they have in, in a much, um, broader sense. You know, for me, you know, what I, and I, I catch myself once in a while is, okay, we're doing live. We also, and you know, that today it's, you know, it's Sunday. We don't have many people on 
And uh, yeah. so you and our chit chatting, but we also, you know, and, and I do my show late Hawaiian Standard Time. I, you know, I do my regular show at 8 p.m., which is 11 p.m. Pacific, and you know, basically two o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. So most people are in bed. You know, they they're not staying up to watch me. And if I get someone, it's the foreign listeners. It's either Europe or Australia. And uh, so I know my my foreign listeners better than I do my stateside listeners when i'm doing live and i catch a yep. few a f- you know a few people are up and, and catch the show or you know maybe they're working the the night shift or whatever and they're watching but um one thing that i have to watch for as i'm doing the show is to remember that my primary audience is still right here in in listening, in listening. Yes. And if you are, okay, so you know, as an example, if, you know, I, if I have a, a, a screen up and, you know, here in the, uh, and this is, you know, this is really easy for, a mistake for me to make is if I can, uh, like I'll go to the pod2pod.com website right now, load that up. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I bring this website up on the, on the video, Okay, on the live video, and I'm talking about something on this page, I have to remember to be very descriptive of what I'm, what I'm looking at because the listeners will get lost. The people watching will say, oh, yeah, we understand. You know, and so you have to be very descriptive. And, you know, so what do we have on this page? They're showing Slack with Pod to Pod. They talk about their Slack, their Slack channel. And so it's got the Slack graphic up. So those people that are listening right now to this show know that I'm looking at the, the pod to pod website and I'm looking at the Slack logo. Most people know what the Slack logo is. So, you know, you have to describe that. If you don't, then you disenfranchise the, the listening audience. So you have to continue to remember that there are people that are listening that can get pissed off if you're talking about something in the video that you're not describing it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's really just a matter of sharing what's, what's, what's important and what's pertinent to, to why you're showing that on the screen right. and what's, what's relevant that's being visually seen um, to what the conversation is. I, I think it's just keeping context, which is, you know, really important. And, and if I bring uh, up an article that is specifically on, has text, and I'm just using it for filler. So if I bring in this article that is for filler, I, I don't have to feel, in, you know, the, the audience that's watching knows that uh, I'm talking about a specific topic. And then, but I don't have to go into, so, if, you know, on my text show, I'm saying, hey, folks, so, I heard about this thing called about there's an appetite for podcasting now with with lawyers, and you know over at the Mercury News they're talking about some lawyers that are in. It would go into this article, and I would discuss the you know I'd give the Reader's Digest version of this. In even though the visual audience is looking at the the image that's up, I don't have to describe that this is there's a picture here of three guys doing a podcast and you know yeah and meanwhile i'm back on another page this is just being used for fill and then i'm actually on a different browser tab 
looking at the article details and I and so I do nothing I just use that as a as a place marker you know so um um I think that uh it, it depends on what you have on the screen and then I always tell my audience this is something you got to go look at it'll be highlighted in the show notes then the listening audience knows to go to the show notes and you know I'll, I'll mm-hmm. star an article and they'll be able to get to it quickly to see what I was trying to describe. So that's, you know, that's the thing about doing video. You have to continue to remember where the majority of your audience is because very few shows will have as many people watch as they do listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's certainly uh, um, a factor, too, that you need to think about, well, how are you going to add value to the videos? You know, that's different right. than the audio, too. Yeah. I think it goes the other way, too. What can you do in the video that will be interesting to somebody watching the video? I mean, here we are, two heads talking mm-hmm. into yeah. big microphones, and it's not really that exciting. You no, know? no. So, I mean, what can we do to spice it up? I know you have a big sign behind you that says, on air. Right. But, but that probably says that all the time. It does. <laughs> but you know, here's the. You're always on the air, right? Yeah, here. Yeah. But and I think the main thing is too is that if I'm doing a dialogue, um, example, uh, I did a video recently that I put up on something I'm working an issue that's going on in my hometown. The power of video really is is looking right into that camera eye and talking to the camera, and and use the same techniques that you're using to talk to someone that's listening, you you can have a deeper connection, eye-to-eye contact, because if you're looking directly at the camera lens and not down here looking at the keyboard or looking at the switcher, which I'm often doing, yeah, um, I do too. you know, the audience knows that, hey, I'm, he's looking at me, and it's really not that, but it's psychological. You know, what do we do when we're standing beside one another if if i was fidgeting around while you were talking to me and and you know and 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 touching a remote control or or playing with a pen you'd get pissed off because you'd be like he's not really listening whereas in podcasting we can get away with that because we are listening but we can also multitask so in video it's it's a it's a different connection you know the eyeballs are the connection so Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you know if you, if you yeah. have if you have the ability not having to look at the screen very much and can talk to the you look at all the successful YouTubers that are vloggers, you look at what you look at their techniques. You look at Casey Neistat. You look at some of those guys that have got massive audiences, and they do something very very well. They they use that first of all, they're great cinematographers. They do great videos, but when they're talking to you, you're they're in your face, you know, and um, and podcasters aren't really used to that doing their show. They're they're looking at their show notes or looking at whatever they've got planned on the screen. Mm-hmm. I think you see this in talk radio. If you ever watch talk radio live, um, and you know, I know people don't like this. Not t- political shows are are huge, but if you just watch, you know, and I tell people to do this, you may hate their politics. But you go look at um, some of the videos of some of these folks and what they're doing. The, you're going to learn some things. Uh, 
you look at what Glenn Beck's doing with his network and how they're, you know, their their audio, they have a massive audio audience, but they also have this video part of their business. You look at what they're doing there. You look at the um, Hannity's, the Rush, the, you know, those uh, right lean, you know, those right to conservative shows. Unfortunately, I don't have really any radio, you know, so political seems to be big. If you just look at what they're doing, you know, throw the politics aside. Um, these have big production crews. You can learn a lot from what these folks are doing and how they're yeah. connecting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even a show like a Rich Eisen show is another one that's a good example. I mean, it's um, Dan Patrick is another. Yeah, there you go. Really, really. I mean, I think those two guys are really, really interesting from the standpoint of how they produce their podcasts at the same time that they're they're producing high quality video production. Yes, yeah. too. I mean, they're on sets. Yep. That are very attractive. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's a little bit like what Leo does. I mean, yeah. Leo, Ali uh, Laporte has created these sets, Beautiful sets. Him that are very attractive yeah. for for video, but most of his audience is audio. Yeah. So he's doing a very similar thing to Dan Patrick and and, and, and Rich Eisen, who have television shows too, and they're nationally syndicated on the radio as well. Um, of creating very attractive backdrops and. And maybe using lavaliers, um, not so much using these big, huge microphones like yeah, we do. Yeah, Leo still uh, uses microphones, right? Yeah, he does. He, yeah, they sit on desks on like a mic stand. And they They're use, not booms. Yeah, they still use PR40s, I think. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, so, yeah, because he's all about the audio quality. Right, right. He wants, right. you know, I think that the risk with the with the whole lavaliers thing is is that your your audio quality is not that great. Yeah, it, it sounds it can go to the point of almost sounding being on a speakerphone if you don't get the position exactly right. You know, it yeah. gets a little little big roomy. I I you know, I think it's really at Maybe this a little tinny. Yeah. I, you know, I I think too is, you know, I've done many of us and there was just some guy on Slack yesterday that was saying I like I got a baby coming. I'm getting kicked out of my studio and it's, you know, being converted into uh, the baby room. And I told him <laughs> my comment was the baby will be with you in your bedroom. 99.99% of the time. Uh, don't worry. You're not losing your studio. Um, at least that's way, way was with my kids until they got to the point where they could be in their own bed. Our, and we had babies in the bed for years. So, and I know people cringe when, when I say that, but, we protected so that the baby wouldn't be rolled over and all that stuff. But, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, he's going to the basement and, uh, he's got a very limited amount of room, you know, and he's literally going to be like in a closet and he, but he's was thinking, do I put up a, you know, there, I've got the air conditioning and the heater over here and I've got kids playroom behind me. How do I do this? And my suggestion was, dude, you need to put a fake wall in. You know, just box out a frame, put a, you know, do, use two by fours and then puts insulation in between and, and, you know, and the drywall on either side, that'll, that'll help a lot. And it's not permanent, uh, relatively inexpensive to build. Um, don't necessarily need a door. You can, you can use a, you know, something and you're going to want to keep it cool. But I, I, you know, I think there's lots of ways to do it, but he, he's going to have our, you know, this is a 10 by 12 room. People have no clue and i'm really kind of in a cubby hole of this room so i'm using like you know maybe eight by six of this room for this little area 
and I got shit packed in here everywhere. I've always talked about changing this this backdrop, but the problem I have with changing the backdrop, it's full of stuff. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's also a storage closet. So in Hawaii, you know, um, houses are sizes at a premium. So I, you know, I'd love to have like a basement, but we don't have basements here. And um, so you have to use what you can use to spice up your background as best you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of podcasting networks and up and then back in the early days of podcasting, video podcasts were pretty popular. Yeah, you know, I know back when I was working on Zoom and Microsoft, um, the the Zoom player had a big screen on it. Uh, we had a lot of consumption of video podcasts, and though that seems to have faded away, though Apple hasn't killed their video podcast area. No. Uh, it's still there, but, but I've always thought too, Rob, that this show might be cool to do green screen a little bit, but, uh, you know, again, the configuration of this room makes green screen hard to do because of the yeah. monitors and everything. But, you know, then you can put up whatever background you want. I'm frankly, the topic of the show, I think what you're doing is appropriate. It, it shows the tech it's, it, it, it it's a geeky place and that's oftentimes what podcasters are involved in yeah so they're and, curious about your studio and right? i've always wondered why people watch you know because if especially when i'm doing the solo show i can understand you and i why they come watch but if you know and maybe they're just running this in the background but as far as the my tech show where i do an hour and 10 minutes of news you know come on is it that in you know, it's, it's, you know, do you want to look at me for an hour and 10 minutes? I've always wondered that. So be frank, but yet a huge part of my audience, not necessarily live, but afterwards, listen, I watch mm-hmm. it. So I don't know if they just throw it on the Roku or if they throw it up on their computer and maybe they're working and I'm just talking in the background. It's maybe it's a convenience thing. I don't care as long as they like, it, you know, like we've always said, I don't care how they how they get the show as long as they get the show. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's true. The same with So this. did you see this, this article that was out about talking about the investment in Gimlet media? Yeah. They got 14, recently. Yeah. It's interesting though, what they're talking about using the money for the 14 million. 15, 15. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they had raised uh 7 million prior, but I guess they got a, a venture capitalist to give them fifteen million. They're an eighty-person company now, Todd. That's incredible. Eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Fifteen million dollars is they're making the if they if you know fifteen million dollar investment doesn't support an eighty eighty-person company. So they must they must be doing very well to be able to pay salaries for eighty people. Yeah, and I guess the 80. investors valued the Gimlet. Um, company at 55 million pre-money and i guess uh i guess it's worth now after this investment 70 million wow so and and what's interesting about it is you know i'm pulling this off of a recode article that was written you know about it and it and the author of the article i guess uh, talking to them and talking to some venture capitalists out there it's kind of kind of interesting what what he pulled out of this, it says, um, um, when he had heard that the Gimlet media folks had raised some, you know, some money, a couple of minutes, you know, a 
um, here recently, I guess he went around asking some venture capitalists whether they were investing in other podcasting startups. And I guess a lot of them said, nope, uh, uh-huh. they are not. And, and I guess the longer answer here in the articles, uh, I guess many VCs had looked but found various reasons not to invest. They were concerned that there's no real tech in podcasts (laughs) or that the industry is dominated by Apple and Apple (laughs) doesn't seem terribly, um, you know, terribly engaged in podcasting or that the podcasting space just isn't big enough to produce an exciting, uh, quick return on their money. I, I think a lot of them don't understand it. You know, and here's the funny yeah. part is there's there's tech. <laughs> Some companies have tech. <laughs> but many of them don't. Like a given right. media, I wouldn't think would have really much any tech. Yeah, and they're kind of close. It's a content company. Yeah, they're closed mouth about what they do have tech-wise too. So, you know, it's and it's kind of funny as we often find that our stuff is powering some of these bigger networks. We kind of laugh behind the scenes about it, but. Um, it's it's all good. We're we're happy they're able to use our tools, but um, you know, and we and what really is the bottom line is Rob is that um, very few, of, you know, I think Libsyn, us, you, um, maybe Blog Talk, um, probably ha- are the only companies that have revenue that would be considered worthy of looking at for late stage investment. And that's what we're really talking about here. We're not talking about an early round. Um, you know, I'm like a B or B or C round. Yeah. You know, this would be kind of a round that someone would come in and say, okay, we're going to give you $10 million for this percentage of the company. But in order to get that round, you have to have X dollars of revenue already coming in. So most of these late investment firms, uh, they won't even talk to you unless you're doing at least a minimum of million five gross a year. So, you know, that's kind of the, the number that they'll have, they'll, you know, at least talk to you about if you're doing a million five and then. And then they'll start thinking whether or not they want to come in with an, you know, with some cash to put in a stake. But the majority of the podcasting, at least service companies, are out there. They're, you know, I, I would assume the majority of them are not even close to that. Yeah, yeah. And then this article also talked about uh, another podcasting network called Crooked Media. Uh, I guess it's the it's the network that launched the Pod Save America podcasts this past year, and they're saying that it, it has a five million dollar annual run rate, which I'm not exactly sure what. Do you happen to know what the run rate means? Is that's that advertising valuation. I think that's the amount of advertising they're doing. I think or sales or sales. Yeah, it's okay. I think it's probably the amount of advertising coming in. Let me see if I can get mm-hmm. an actual definition of run rate. Uh, um, yeah, I've heard that term or that phrase said before, but I guess I've never really fully understood what it meant. Um, oh, here it is. 
The run rate concept refers to the extrapolation of financial results into the future period. For example, a company report to its investors that its sales in the latest quarter were $5 million, which translates into an annual run rate of $20 million. So that means that Pod Save America is making roughly a million to a quarter. But, you okay. know, here's the thing about that with that network then if they're doing a million to a quarter uh that pays for a lot of employees and that in in in, yeah. in if they run if they don't have that many employees that makes for a very profitable business you know i don't know how yeah. many people they've got so let's say a million two pays easily um easy, probably easily depending on what level you are in the company of 9 or 10 people and I think most of these companies are on the East Coast, so they have to pay a premium just because they're in New York City. So maybe not as many, you know. And when I when I went to New York and we were when we were in our the first go round when we were someone was wanting to acquire us in the early days of podcasting, you know, I went to New York and visited. And even though I live in Hawaii, I, I basically came home and said the only way that I could put, probably survive in New York is I'm going to have to make, you know, 150 to 200,000 a year minimum just to be able to afford to live, you know, within striking distance of Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people will gawk at that, but uh, go to Manhattan, hang out for a week. <laughs> you know, it's not cheap. So I also see in this this article too, um, Matt uh, Lieber, who's one of the co co founders of Gimlet Media, and I believe Matt's been on this program before. Sure. Um, he made a comment that uh, he he believes podcasting is the last frontier of digital media. It's the last two, three hours of people's day that's untouched by digital screens. That's what he says. And filling that void with a new form of media will be a valuable exercise. Uh, you just don't see this much time spent in a medium that's this effective for advertising. Um, so, I mean, I, I would tend to agree. I think uh, as this medium starts to replace radio, I think um, things will be different. I don't know that. I think as you think about this medium replacing radio in a greater and greater sense um, over the decades into the future here, that um, we're going to see a direct uh, transfer of those funds that have been funding radio over to podcasting. I, my gut would tell me that uh, it's going to be some percentage less that's going to move out of radio because I believe radio has been kind of, kind of inflated and it's revenues based on kind of I don't know what the right word to describe it is but maybe based on kind of inflated expectations of what the medium actually how big the medium was based on ratings versus actual listeners um, I don't know what's your thought on that Todd I mean I mean I think currently the radio advertising side is currently at about I think between 10 and $14 billion in annual sales. Um, let's, do you think the podcasting and on demand could get that big? Let's, let's put this way. Someone, if we had an influx of a billion, a billion dollars in advertising and podcasting, every podcaster on the planet would have an advertiser. Yeah. 
currently today, but today. but as you look out like 10 years, huh. it's going to take at least 10 to 15 years for, um, all those, many of those radio listeners to convert over to on demand and listen more to podcasts. I, I believe, uh, I think that advertisers are going to be desperate to, I think it's going to be a bidding war because I think you're going to have, uh, you know, those earballs. I like using that word. Those earballs are going to go somewhere and podcasting seems to be the natural destination. Uh, live streaming is going to get some of that too, of course. So yeah, I, I think, I think the future is bright. It's just getting there. You know, I, you know, we've been at this now since 2004. I, I, I thought we'd be further along. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this many, many, many times on this show, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I, I think Matt's right. But, you know, podcasting for me and for a lot of, pe- of people that I talk to is their morning. They've replaced morning drive with, with podcasting. Yeah. You know, when I can get on my app, all right, so I take my kid to school, right? My my phone has gotten so smart. When I walk to my car, I get a ding, ding. Thirty-two minutes to get to Monolua High School. It knows where I'm going. The app, just by this function of me walking out to my car at that time, my phone dings me and says, thirty-two minutes." To, do you get that on? You, of course, you don't. Maybe have a regular drive now. No. But Monday through Friday, I'm taking my kid to school in the morning. That that app knows how. It, it so I don't have to go on the radio and find out what the drive conditions are. There's no reason for me yeah. to turn on FM 100. Yeah. You know, I get in the car. My son is plugged into whatever he's plugged into, or if I force him not to use a, you know, a device and we talk on the way to school, which I try to do a lot. Uh, other than that, or I'm on a conference call or something. So it's um it's just going to it the the our mobile devices are just taking away some of that information and, you know look at ways if i want to if okay so the traffic's like well, it's, weather too yeah, yeah if the yeah i don't have to deal with that here if the it's sunny it's going to be sunny or it's going to rain one of the two um if if uh if i get on the highway and, and i heard you know my app has said it's going to be 52 minutes to get to the school I'm like, oh, there's there's something going on with traffic, so I hit ways, and it knows it knows the route that I'm driving, and it tells me, okay, hey, uh, the faster route is to get off this street. So I don't need to listen where the backups are anymore. The apps tell me, so I don't need to go to radio for that. Maybe I want to go for the news, maybe local news. Um, but but you really don't even need it for that. No. Right? That's probably the only thing I need local radio for now is is in the morning maybe is a little local news, but you know I don't want to listen for three hours to get all the news of the day because you know the talk the talk stations here are not they're breaking it up into you know three three topics for a thirty minute period separated by four commercial breaks. So for me, podcasting is a morning thing. Um, yeah, I, I, and I do wonder how how technology. Um, just in a general sense is going to evolve. Right. And how that's going to impact podcasting. Um, technology is, 
I think we're kind of in a lull of technology innovation right now, but there's a lot of stuff in the R&D labs right now that are bubbling that um, could be very, very transformative to all of our lives. You know, autonomous cars is one of them. And and ultimately, I think what it is is, and and again, I've said it, this is the second time I've said it on the show. We started this medium when it started because there was no way it was not easy to get this content onto a device. We're way past that. It's simple. The, the media is on the device. Podcasting still serves, the RSS feed still serves as a mechanism to get syndication out there. But again, I don't care where people listen, as long as they listen. So why? So what do I do? I, I'm on, I have my show syndicated on streaming radio. So, you know, it's streamed on TuneIn and all these other live streaming sites people can come in and listen to it as an actual stream number one Mm -hmm. number two they can they can get it on demand almost anywhere and and any app any you know any place that you consume audio content i i really don't care how they get it um the key though really to me is still the distribution piece until the distribution piece changes dramatically uh, I don't see a shift in podcasting. Now, if the distribution piece changes, we'll we'll shift with it. Someone's still going to have to provide some, I would assume, unless they completely eliminate the need for any tools, which um, maybe, but I don't see it in in the in the foreseeable near future. Um, because people are still going to need a place to put the media and all that stuff. I guess from my business point, I mean, I'm, you know, who knows? We, mm-hmm. Somebody could come up with something miraculous tomorrow. I'm out of business, but um, things will definitely heat up as the space grows too, because more people are going to get in and want a piece of the, you know, they're going to want a piece of the cash. Well, and as the the listener side of this grows, there's going to there's going to be a lot more pressure put on on monetization. Um, oh yeah. I think that's the big part too. I mean, if you think about, um, I mean, cause we're currently only what tapping into less than half of the U S population as active listeners to this medium. Uh, you know, we could easily, if you look at radio, radios at 93% currently, let's say we get to 75% of the U S population right. and listening to podcasts every week. Uh, what is that going to do to your bandwidth numbers, Todd? What's it going to do to um, hosting a podcast? Well, you know, depending on size of your show, it's going to get big. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and you're going to want to, I mean, unless the cost of bandwidth continues to drop, which it probably will. Well, you know, and here's um, another thing, too. It's going to get expensive for some. It's yeah. for us. And what, you know, and this is just, you know, pure mathematics is as the, as the volume grows, our bill doesn't necessarily grow. And this is, you know, it it incrementally grows up based on number of customers I have. So the more customers I add, the bill goes up obviously, but the more volume every year I go back to the CDN and we have a bidding war and they, they bid for our business. It's true. We go out and we... I know they drop their their per gig rate, right, based right. on your volume. Right? And, but we're, you know, I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to, you know, let me use a, a number. We're going to guarantee we're going to buy a thousand terabytes a month. 
And let's just, you know, let's just throw that number out there. I'm buying a thousand. I'm guaranteed that I'm going to buy a thousand. Matter of fact, I do buy a thousand terabytes a month, no matter if I use it or not. So, you know, I go to that and, and, and you go to them with that number and they say, well, we're going to give you, you know, this much. This is going to be your per gig cost. And, uh, and you decide whether or not that's acceptable or not. And you sign a contract. So we do that every year and our bandwidth is going up every year. So mm-hmm. you, you got economy of scale by being able to build the bandwidth. You, you know, your bandwidth is growing, but you hopefully you, you whack them all a little bit more at the, now at some point, <laughs> you know, when you get sub penny per gig, um, there's only so many ways you can cut sub penny up, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, you're never going to get to free, but let's say you're, um, let's say you're at half a cent per gig, <laughs> you know, you're going to be moving some traffic to get half a cent a gig. Let me just be up front and say that. But, um, even if you're at, let's say you're at a penny and that's the goal of most companies is to get to a penny a gig. Once you get in, in 0.9, 0.8. That's still, a, you know, a annual savings. You go from a penny a gig to point zero zero nine cents a gig. You you've you you're still seeing a ten percent for a whole year mm-hmm. savings on bandwidth. And you know when you're dealing with you know tens of thousands of terabytes, that adds up. So, um, I'm not so worried about the bandwidth costs because we'll be able to well podcasters will be appreciative that they're going to be able to come to somebody like you or I and get their you know their show hosted um, and we'll be able to you know, use you know if everyone had a super successful show I would not survive <laughs> You yeah, know, it, it's a law of averages. Mm-hmm. But I also know that yeah. I also know where my bread is buttered too. You know, we know that the gimlets of the world are doing their own thing and they've got super big shows and they probably have a super, well, some of them are finding out that I'm going to have a super big bandwidth bill. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I want well, especially if they're trying to host on their own, um, or they're not working with a, a a network that's able to buy at scale. At scale, I think that's the key. That's 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 the mistake that uh, some people make is that they think that well, I'm just going to go alone. Right. I um, I scared and, someone on this. Do this and get a yeah. I scared someone on this yeah. show, and um, because they were they freaked out when they heard that I said um that there was a vendor that was going to have a an eight thousand dollar or whatever the number was like seven thousand or eight thousand whatever their monthly hosting bill was going to be and um he said i I can't afford you and i I was like well just please understand (laughs) that what we're talking about here is that um that company um was moving a massive amount of traffic, you know, to have an $8,000 hosting bill. (laughs) That company was moving a massive amount of bandwidth. And, um, 
And the only reason that they end up talking with us is because they found out in trying to do it on their own that their bill was really going to be $40,000 if they did it on their own because they didn't have enough scale to get that cost per gigabit down. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, that's one of the big reasons to work with a a platform like yours or eyes, uh, especially if you have a show at scales, because we're already buying huge amounts of bandwidth right now. Right. Right. Um, and we can get that price down. And, <clears throat> and the truth is, is that, um, aggregating those type of, um, shows or those type of networks into our platform, uh, or yours or, or Lipson or whatever drives our costs down further. So it, it helps everybody yes. um, to get get lower prices as well. And yeah. that's one of the advantages of working with a bigger network is that you can have that um, that discount based on scale. Scale. Because if you go to a CDN yourself yeah. directly and you've got 10 or 15 shows uh, and you're doing huge volumes with those shows, you're going to you're going to, I hate to say it, but you're going to not be able to work with them because it's going to be so much money. I just tell people uh, go to CloudFront and look, it's public. CloudFront puts, it, puts their pricing online. You can see the type of volume. Then, well, just let me, let me bring up CloudFront front pricing. Yeah. And this is Amazon's CDN. Um, so pricing for CloudFront Okay, so the first 10 terabytes in a month for United States traffic is eight and a half cents. So, you, you, you know, you have to move eight, eight and a half. You have to, and this is, you have to contract. You have to guarantee that you're going to move a certain amount. So if you move up to 40 terabytes, you get eight cents. 100 terabytes, six cents. This is a gig. 350 terabytes, four cents. So you see where we're going here. 524 terabytes, three cents. Now, if you want to get to the, the two cent level, two and a half cents, you got to move four petabytes or 4,000 terabytes. Over five, over 5,000 terabytes, you can get to two cents. Now that's, that's U.S. prices. And when you have stuff that comes out of Hong Kong and Philippines or Japan or South America. You have traffic originating there. Oh boy, the price goes back up because it's more expensive for data that's going into Hong Kong, Japan, South America, Australia. You'll never get down in this. You know, they talk about 14 cents going into Australia. So, you know, if you have a U.S. only audience, yeah. But you got to do massive, you know, massive traffic to get these discounts. But Todd, those those numbers are, from my experience, those numbers are pretty high um, for even that volume. Oh, um, it is. I wouldn't say that. The, I wouldn't say that that's any kind of a deal by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. No, not. But you, you know, what you do is okay. You go get a couple of quotes. Yeah. Well, you have to do some price comparison shopping. There's, there's lots of CDNs out there that you can work with yeah. at, uh, at, at scale. Yeah. But you, you should be able to get a pretty good rate if you're um, somewhere between five, 500,000 gigs and one 
one billion gigs. Um, right. Or one million gigs. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, uh, you should be able to yeah. get a much less rate than what you're what you're talking about there. Yeah, but you know, it's again, you got to be able to do that volume, and the key is the volume, the volume. But still, in in the end, <laughs> all right. So let's really think about that. So let's even think about uh, a thousand. Okay, a thousand terabytes. All right. So you know, a thousand terabytes. What is that? A million gigs. Yeah. So a thousand terabyte is a, a thousand. Yeah, is is a million gigs. So you still, if you multiply a million gigs by two cents, um, do the math. <laughs> you know, it's it's still um, it's still not a cheap still bill. A big check. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, even though it's pennies, it's still you know. <laughs> um, and I think we mentioned this maybe last week or the week before, but oftentimes what happens um, is is that once they find out, like you're you're you know you're talking about that eighty two hundred dollar bill, the, the first thing I would ask them is, what's your audio quality? Can you cut back to sixty four k? You know, yeah, um, because truth be told, if it's just spoken word, sixty four k is fine. And if you're getting hit with a bill like that, that could make a difference between paying eighty two hundred dollars and paying forty one forty one hundred dollars. Right, right. <laughs> because I mean, a lot of podcasters think um, putting their podcast at, out there at one hundred twenty eight k is is what they want to do, but at scale, that probably is a is a difficult thing to do. You can probably even cutting back to ninety six k can save you, but, you know, a few thousand bucks. But here, here is the rub, Rob. So you cut back. You're at one hundred twenty eight. You cut to sixty four. You remove, you know, you you split the terabyte uh, usage in half in a month. Well, guess what? You've now done. You are. You've dropped your scale. Yes, you have, and your price goes up. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it it's you know, you're screwed that. one way or the other. You still may you know the bill instead of being forty one hundred may now be sixty two because you can't get the same pricing that you would have if yeah. you yeah <laughs> got the eighty two yeah exactly right. right it's absolutely the truth you know so uh, you know it's yeah. it it's a racket <laughs> but you know the the. There's a couple of companies out there that could blow us all out of the water yeah. if they started hosting podcasts. Yeah, they could. Right? Yeah, they sure could. Like uh, Apple, Google, Apple will never Microsoft. host. They'll never host the media. Yeah, because I mean, I'm sure those guys are paying uh, fractions of pennies. <laughs> right. Well, uh, and matter of fact, bandwidth. Google bought their own fiber. You know, so you know, it, they weren't happy with a fraction of pennies, so they just went out and bought fiber. <laughs> So, you know, they don't yeah. pay bandwidth. Uh, they pay now co-location fees where they have servers sitting in ISPs yeah. and stuff. Yeah, well, and they they had to invest in the fiber, in the, the infrastructure. They, they had to pay for the the infrastructure. Of so course. Bandwidth is never free. Never I free. mean, even though no. you build your own network, yeah. it just it's all a matter of scale. Yeah. Um, and and how much that cost is versus how much traffic you're moving. They probably had more cost uh, in peering fees than they did in uh, in actual bandwidth fees. Yeah. That's you know, so that's what they were trying to eliminate was peering fees. Yeah, because so. they probably I would think that Google would probably want to own um, a, a global network 
of fiber, I would think. Well, I, they they bought a bunch of fiber, so I, I you know I think yeah, they have. But they may not own <clears throat> own enough fiber to have peering um, all over the world, though. Uh, that could be their long term goal. Yeah. Trying to figure out which um, camera's better. I think this one is. You're kind of washed out a little bit today, Rob. But you know, I think this is the you know, and again, so when someone says you scared me with that number. Please understand it. Uh, they they had uh, well, let's let's put it this way: it's the biggest biggest proposal I ever put together for a single network. So you know, most people are nowhere near. You know, we've got a lot of little mini networks. It's a hundred bucks a month. You know, so it's yeah. uh, you know, they don't use that much volume. They have a lot of shows, but they they don't move a lot of a lot of traffic. So you know, that's the other scale of things too. You know, one thing I've been thinking about for many years is is if you compare broadcast radio to podcasting, uh, for, purely from a cost of distribution standpoint, right? Um, it's an interesting thing to to model out, and I'm not sure that there's been a lot of talk about this. Um, is that radio has been uh, under this distribution cost structure that's been very advantageous? Oh yeah. Um, it doesn't cost anything additional to radio to add a listener. No. Right. Nothing. Or add a person that gets access to the content. Their capital um, cost is fixed. Yeah. Uh, we're on the podcasting side, adding each additional listener to any program or any live stream has an incremental cost. That's right. Um, and I think that that's been one of the concerns that many have had with this medium as it scales. And as it grows bigger, <clears throat> does the economics of it make sense? Well, I look at the video part, and <clears throat> the video portion is um, for the podcast. If I was on purely CPM rates, it would be a loss leader for the video, because the video's a uh, nine hundred to a to almost a gig so if you go back to that you know that cost structure um if you look at um because i pay for my bandwidth for my show um but if you look at the you know per gig cost uh to deliver it as a podcast you know that uh you know it, it you know uh it could be a nickel a listener. And that's what it could cost to actually deliver video, where a nickel would be uh, ten audio listeners. So, um, you know, if you look at pure cost, now most podcasters don't have to think about this because they get, you know, the advantage of the flat rate plans that we've offered, mm -hmm. and and you guys offer. They don't have to think about it in those terms. But uh, when networks grow up. And then they actually have to pay big boy bills. Um, you know that's that's a, a true reality of what it you know what it costs to deliver the media to the you know. Whereas the YouTubers, they don't have to pay nothing, but they also get hardly shit back from YouTube. YouTube gives them you know buck, two bucks CPM maybe if they're lucky, or they share that. So, you know, Google has basically said, I'm taking 90% of the revenue here 
because I'm hosting the media. I'm taking on the biggest cost. And in reality, they have almost no cost because of their size. So, you know, for Google, that is a, you know, but, but also at the same point, someone that's getting 2 million video views doesn't have to pay a dime a listener either. Yeah. Well, and, or and Google, let's, I mean, let, let's be frank right now. Google is a great topic here to talk about in relation to podcast distribution. I mean, they, they could certainly host every podcast that's out there and it wouldn't be probably even a blip in their, their even, consumption. Of their it wouldn't even be a blink. Yeah. yeah. And, and they are currently doing uh rehosting of podcasts right now. They're, they, it's not a primary distribution. It's a secondary distribution scenario, yep. but they are t- taking copies of all of our podcasts. If you added your podcast to the, the Google play podcast directory, mm-hmm. um, Google is rehosting your podcast yeah. right now today. Yeah. Um, so they are distributing. I don't, I don't know how big their catalog is. Todd, is there any sense on how big the Google play catalog is today? I haven't looked at it because it continues to not even be a blip on the radar. They've done a horrible job. Okay, as far as as far as consumption goes. Yeah. You know, I'm, and, I'm assuming most people have their shows over there. Yeah. So they're they're storing all these episodes yeah. from many tens of thousands of shows right, yeah. right now, but they're not being primarily hosted over there, so there's not really very much bandwidth being consumed. Yeah. Um, on their platform at all, it probably doesn't even register on their their charts anywhere. Angela told me um, something the other day. Let's see if I can find. Uh, I got to go to Slack here so I get the right number. We have um, um but being let's see here. Can I find it? Angela made a comment the other day on, oh, I know where it's at, because I was talking about someone that scraped us, and um, we're over 400,000 shows in our directory now, and there was, okay, so we've been we've been syndicating and basically pulling in um, the entire podcast directory now for, or we have the entire podcast ecosystem for probably two years before it was like 60,000 shows. So for like for 10 years, we did 60,000 shows and now we're doing everything. So we have 23.5 million episodes in our podcast directory. So if you think about that from a, you know, in the first 10 years was only, you know, 40 to 60,000 shows. And then now we're, we're, we're basically syndicating them all. We have every show known to man, except for the ones that have been asked to be removed, which we do get a few a week. Um, 23.5 million episodes. How many episodes are uploaded to YouTube on a daily basis? You know, it's, I don't think it's that many. No, but you know, there it's, you know, we're we're talking about twelve years worth of stuff here, and <laughs> YouTube probably gets twenty three point five million uploads a, a month. You know, let's 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 Google it. How many new videos a day? I don't know. Oh, let me. It's it's going to shock you. 
how many new YouTube videos per day? Um, 300 hours of videos are uploaded to YouTube every five minutes. Almost 5 billion videos are watched on YouTube every single day. Um, 5 billion? 5 billion videos are watched on you. So, uh, number of videos, okay, no, 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 number of unique, but total number of hours. So, they say there's 300 hours update uh, uploaded every minute. Every minute. So, let's, we can, this is going to rock your brain here. We're having a little fun here, a little math problem. <laughs> so, if you, if you take 300 per minute, times 60 times 24 and that gives you 432,000 hours of video that's update that's uploaded every day now let's divide that what do you think let's what do you think the average podcast length is 30 minutes uh, i would i say probably 50 minutes okay so 45 so essentially here if I've done my math right, let me do this again. And if I divide that by, because we're talking about minutes here. Mm -hmm. So 8,640 new videos every day. And multiply that by 30 days. That's 259,000 new videos every day, every month. Which, mm -hmm. but the thing is, YouTube videos are only like ten minutes. So if we do the oh, if we, shorter, yeah, if we do yeah. the equivalent, the the podcasting equivalent, then, and I've got twenty, so two fifty nine a month, and and it's taken me twenty year, I mean ten year, twelve years to get to twenty three point five million episodes. Uh, okay. Uh, I did think I did the math wrong. There's a lot less content in podcasting. <laughs> yeah, a lot less. So we're just a blip. We would be just a blip in in our video. In our our media size is small. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, and 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 we're just still a blip in the advertising area too. Yeah, I mean, if you look at yeah. the if you look at podcast advertising compared to just mobile search, you know banner ad advertising, mm -hmm. um, search advertising and video advertising. It's like a $36 billion industry. Um, just desktop digital video is almost $5 billion industry. Yeah. And we're like, uh, you know, a hundred and I think that the projections were $120 million right. last year in, in advertising revenue. So if, if we get to a billion, Rob, you know, Buy me a house in Hawaii. That's, oh, I'm already here. That's, that's, <laughs> that's 10 times bigger than where, where we are today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I guess we're, we're forecast to hit uh, 20 million next year. So we're growing at about 100 million a year. Oh, right the, oh you mean 200 million next year? Yeah. Yeah. 200 million next year. Even if we get to, two, if, if we get to 200 million next year, any show that has an audience of a size 5,000 people per episode or greater will have an advertiser. Every show. Every show that has 
5,000 listeners or greater at $200 million will have, have advertising. They'll have more than one advertiser. Well, currently that's not, that's not possible. That's what I'm saying. Right. But if it's, if there's $200 million in an, and if, if we go from a hundred million to 200, I'm telling you, there's, there's, n- <laughs> they want this thing to grow. We don't have enough content to get it there. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that we have the, the volume, the proper technology to, to make it happen either. Right. If, if we're trying to get advertising into every show that's got, you know, a couple thousand listeners, yeah, I don't know that the technology exists to get that done right now. But that the only way, the only way we're getting to 200 million is to do that. The only way there's no way there's not enough inventory at $200 million. There will be there. If they have to come down, they have to come down into the masses. They have to. I'm telling you, you know, you, you, okay. But it's not so much about, um, it's not, well, I mean, it's partially about content, but it's also about audience. True. Right. It's audience scale. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Audience scale. If, if we go to 200 million in the audience scale, doesn't, yeah, yeah, it's a chicken egg thing here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, in order for us to double in ad revenue, we have to double in audience. Or, or you feed. Or go up. No, no. Or you feed all those shows that don't have advertising. You come into this, 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 this second tier of shows that are really sitting out there with nothing right now. Thousands, tens of thousands of shows that have no advertising. Because the money is being spent in the top tier right now. Yeah. Unless Gimlet and all these folks ramp up and, you know, have a whole bunch of brand new blockbuster shows. I still don't think they can make enough successful content to to get us from 120 to 200 million in a year. If that's what really they think we're going to get to. If if that was the case, if that, if that was happening, media buyers would be coming to Hawaii and taking me to lunch to get our to get our podcasters running their advertising it would be we, we would flip completely we would have to be going there and kissing their asses well Todd wouldn't we just need to have a bunch more shows that are doing at a much a larger scale I mean I mean but, so let's say uh, we currently have Two thousand shows that are that are at scale, right? Right, and that that's what's generating the vast majority of the hundred and yeah, hundred and nineteen million dollars in revenue in two thousand sixteen. We just need another, you know, two thousand top shows, right? Okay, Uh, that are generating, you know, two hundred to three hundred thousand downloads. I'm not holding my breath, and I'll take those odds in Vegas any day of the week. There's not enough gimlets, panoplies, and everything else to add 2,000 new shows. Maybe 100, 150, 200 maybe new shows that can that, get. Yeah. I mean, but is that the direction the industry is heading? I think it is. Well, maybe. Um, because, you know, I mean, until technology exists, 
to monetize shows at smaller scale. Well, you know what I have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. And and I believe that there's other people working on this project, but right. um but it's also, you know, it, you're also talking about, you know, downward pressure on CPMs too, which uh, is also going to hold that number back. That it will. It'll they get and if they if CPMs go down and we still make 200 million, it's a bigger problem. It's even bigger, you know. So I don't know. I mean, if that well, number is going to grow based on CPM growth, but what would cause CPMs to grow or to get CPMs uh, aren't larger? Running, they're not. I don't. What would cause it to go up, though, is my question. I mean, what can we do as an industry to drive CPM levels up? Is it a supply and demand issue? Is it a audience issue is well, a technology issue it, you know there's already bidding wars for some shows so that you know those lucky shows can d demand a premium but again those are mm. like one percenter shows yeah you know they you know if there's is it better, better targeting is it better targeting is it better um, understanding of audiences i think what it largely is is volume it's purely the volume thing because we, you know, I've got incidental, not incidental. I have proof that smaller audiences engage better than bigger audiences, but the bigger audiences have economy of scale. Again, it's a scale thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why it, it's harder. It, it's definitely harder to have five hundred shows on a buy than have twenty. Mm -hmm. You got to have a really great technology to manage that. Yes. Um, and you have to have, and you have to run herd on podcasters. It's a full time job, just making sure everybody's getting their reporting in, and you know. Is there anybody that we can pull on this program that can talk about this topic? Can you think that that has any credibility? As far as the where the just this topic of scaling and the connection with advertising revenue with scale and. Well, I think I mean, that a, I think it's if a we, content. It's a it's complicated. It is. It is a complicated thing. But you know, when when you have when you have well, I, I it has to. This is the way I look at it, Rob. If it's going to grow to two hundred million in the next year, there is going to be trickle down. It has to come down into the smaller shows. There'd be no choice. They they might be able to spend a portion of that in bigger shows, but they're going to have to find more ways to spend that money because there's just not going to be enough inventory or there's going to be so many damn ads in a podcast that people are going to get pissed off. There's going to be five, six ads in a single show. You know, so that's the risk too. And then you can be, then you're just like radio. Yeah. I mean, there's probably no, um, no coincidence here that this topic is coming up in the same article as Gimlet Media is getting mm -hmm. $15 million in venture. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess that leads me to, to think that the venture capitalists are, are thinking that pure players like, um, Gimlet or Crooked Media are the keys to reaching 220 million. Well, I'm sure. 
because they're our content companies. I yeah, I, I'm probably you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they're so also means, they're but they're also yeah. overlooking. They're also overlooking the core. They're yeah. focused. They're focused on the strawberry. They're not looking at the cake. <laughs> yeah, that's true because it's easier to to look at the cherry on top than it is yeah. to look at the. And that's the way the, the, the all all the rest of the ice cream that's maybe not as uh, shiny and attractive. And and that's what the media buyers have been focused on. See, in the early days, we you know, I mean, we've we've been through this. There wasn't cherries; it was cake. <laughs> you know, we were all. A, that's yeah. the truth. There's probably peanuts. <laughs> well, no, no, you know, huge amounts of money. You know, why did I build a system where I could have 400, 500 shows on a single system, on a single ad buy? Because we had four or 500 shows on a single ad buy. I didn't yeah. build that because I wanted to. It. We were doing it. Yeah. But it was it was four or 500 shows that <coughs> had audiences, 90% of them were 10,000 listeners or less. I mean, I think it's, it. this term keeps coming up as I think about this, is that those uh, 400 shows are... Likely, I don't know if there's research that proves this, but unduplicated audience, which means that they're yeah. different listeners. It's all, I mean, if you reach 400 <laughs> podcasts, you're basically yeah. reaching the equivalent of, of one show that has 400 unique listeners. So, you know, I, I, um, I told a, a media know. buyer one time and, and they just looked at me like, I'm like, okay, so, you know, if you, you, you buy 10 shows, you're going to get, uh, you know, they do four episodes a month. You're getting 40 spots, okay? Across whatever that audience size is, you're getting 40 ad spots. When you buy 100 shows that are doing four episodes each, you're getting 400 ad spots to the same size audience as you were those 10 shows. But Mm -hmm. you're getting a much broader, much broader audience Reach. reach. And they just look yeah. at you like you're 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 like you're a fucking idiot. And you're just like, do you not understand? You do this in TV. Why don't you understand this in podcasting? Yeah, it's not like I'm buying all the radio. You know, their mentality is okay. We'll buy every radio station in Honolulu. We'll do the same ad on every station for every spot for every hour. Well, well, Todd, that's what's different is that it wouldn't be a different ad on every, I mean, it would be a different ad on every station where what we're talking about, what generally what's done with radio is all the same ad. Right. It is the same ad. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's easier to implement a campaign across a thousand radio stations than it is to implement a campaign well, across I, a thousand I'm talking podcasts. about, I'm talking about talk radio. I don't, I'm not talking about some spot that's running on FM 100, you know, so I, I, I think that. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'm excited. Two hundred million into the space. Come on, <laughs> you know. Let's talk. Start writing checks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, very, we're not seeing the trickle down yet. A little bit here and there. But I'm also not taking six dollars CPMs either. You want to get six dollars CPM? Go somewhere else. It's probably not going to Gimlet Media, $6 CPMs. Uh, maybe. 
You think so? I know public radio's taken a buttload of it. Well. You know, here, 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 the thing is, they can... Public Radio's taking that for, for downloads? Yeah, podcast downloads? absolutely. And they can do that because they have scale. Yeah. It's a short-term view. Short-term, short, very short. Very short-sighted. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, well, I think your buddy out in L.A.'s doing it, too. My buddy out in L.A.? <laughs> $2 CPMs down there, Todd. Our buddy. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. Okay. I've seen those deals. $2 CPM. Mm-hmm. If I went to a podcaster with a $2 CPM, it would be headline news on. <laughs> no. No. They'd be throwing you under the bus. They'd be like, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. Don't even don't don't ever email me again. Yeah, don't right. don't don't I, I you you've been dis I don't I don't know you anymore. You know, and they mark my yeah, email as spam. Yeah, deal, right, Todd? Yeah, seven. Deal, we, so do, we do we do we do seventy thirty. No. Yeah. So oh, it, okay. it's we we it, 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 a buck forty two, bud. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's insulting. You can get six dollars on CP, and you, you you know YouTube's getting six dollars. They're not giving the, the YouTubers as much, but they get six bucks on YouTube cat videos. Come on, yeah. cat videos are getting six dollars CPMs. When wow. was the last time you clicked on an ad on YouTube? Never. All right, I bought. I, I bought. We're, yeah, we're almost. We're done here. I bought a new toy. A sure MVI. Whoops. Oh. Oh yeah. Okay. So I I needed a way to get my Mevo to wire. So what I'm going to do with this is this will take the XLR input. So yeah. this is this sounds complicated, but I'm taking my uh four ch- or six channel Zoom H six N whatever the number is and or H four N or whatever the model is I have the nice one. Mm-hmm. And I run all my wireless mics into it. And then uh, I match the levels, get all that right. And then I come audio out into this box right here. This connects to my iPad. And then my Mevo video connects to the iPad. And I can do live streaming with four people with a very simple setup. This is slick as this little $80 device basically does the interface from my iPhone to the the little mini wireless mixer. So, yeah. uh, this stuff so is... So is that a powered unit? Do you have to plug that into power to get it to work? Uh, you use this on a splitter uh, because um, it, it uses a... Um, it basically has a special cable. Uh, and I, I, this actually the first time I've seen one of these. I'm going to order. Oh shoot! I'm going to order a couple more because invariably I will lose it. Now I've been taking and putting stuff in plastic bags now because if I don't and I don't mark them, they end up in some you lose cables. Yeah, lose cables. So they're making all these noise. So they have a, a mini jack to Thunderbolt. Or to the whatever that plug is, you know the 
the plug for the iPhone. They also make one That's for, a Thunderbolt. Yeah, Thunderbolt. Uh, it's basically a mini jack to Thunderbolt. And the, the phone mm-hmm. powers the um, this device. So obviously you got some battery concerns here, so you have to use a splitter in, in order to be able to keep power going to your, you know, to keep charging your iPhone at the same time. So, or mm-hmm. your, or your yeah. iPad. So you have uh, some longevity. Yeah. So you don't drain it. Yeah. 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 But anyway, it, I've been fighting this for a while and uh, finally just I, I went in and looked at their new approved list of devices that work with the iPhone seven and, and with the uh, new iPads and it's on there and I, I bought that. So, um, yeah, it's just weird. The, there was another weird cable that I got too that uh, works with my drone, so I can use my iPad. And this is uh, I hadn't seen one of these before. These were like four bucks on Amazon, but it's a mini jack to so oh you, yeah, so you can connect another. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, you do it like this. You basically, I can plug that mini jack into my drone controller then this goes straight to the to the iphone there was no way to get actually what i needed was this cable that uh (laughs) the cable that uh sure makes and then we wouldn't need this little you know dual contraption but i've never found if anybody finds this here's the deal If, if any of you find mini jack to thunderbolt you find that particular cable in a single piece, please email me. <laughs> if you, it, it must exist. It well it does because Sure makes one. So I've got the yeah. little I got the little wrapper here that came from Sure and it's got a barcode on it. I'm gonna I haven't looked for it yet. I'm gonna and if I find this bad boy, I'm gonna order about ten of these. So <laughs> it's just stupid. Are, are, are we getting insane on our cable stuff? Oh yeah, I got so many cables. I don't know what to do with them all. You know, here I got a whole drawer full okay. of cables. Well, let me show you my current uh, ready grab bag. This is the bag I have readily accessible in the audience in the office. <laughs> that I, if I need to grab For emergencies, a, yes, that's day to day use. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a drawer right, right right here on my desk here that's just full oh. of cables. And, of course, when you're trying to yeah. find one, you can't find one. So what do you do? You go on Amazon and order three more. It's just, oh, man. Amazon's oh, yeah. like crack. There should be a way that you're, you know, it, 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 there's going to have to be a, a Buyer's Anonymous Club for Amazon. You know, they make it just too easy to get stuff. They really, really do. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, they're... Amazon's growing to the scale where they're starting to put a lot of uh, physical world retailers out of business. Uh, rightly, they should because yeah. I can get it, get those little two cables for six ninety five shipped for free. I go downtown and I can't even find them. Although I will yeah. say, it was in a Best Buy recently, and I did buy. Um, I told you about this four. Uh, let me grab it. They had a deal. Uh, Western Digital had eight terabyte drives on sale at Best Buy for one hundred and fifty nine dollars, uh, and eight terabytes. Eight terabytes, one fifty nine. So 
in in what I found out about this particular drive was it was uh, Western Digital Reds with uh, 256 megabyte cache. And uh, the particular drive, you can't find that particular drive for like under, like two, usually it's like 239 or something like that. So what I've ordered um, is I've ordered a, uh, not a NAS, but just a RAID enclosure, which is really cheap and get them for about 100 bucks. A four drive RAID enclosure that I will put these four, I'm going to take these apart and um, I'm going to take the drives out of them, and then I'm going to put the four drives in a uh, just a RAID enclosure, and that will be, I'm going to have cold storage here. So I've got active NAS storage with the Synology box with five drives, but um, I'm going to go to a cold storage um, here in addition to having, uh, you know, the, the regular storage as well. So um, just trying to solidify my, you, you know, this media, you, you start, you know, you start filling hard drives up and uh, been doing it for 12 years. That's a lot of data. So is that a, a, um, a RAID storage that basically you have like four drives that are the same size? And Yeah. And okay. so, so I'll have uh, 32 terabytes in the drive, but only 16 terabytes when it's of the actual storage. Yeah. 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 So I'm, the way I'm going to stripe it is that way. So I can lose one drive and uh, still recover, still put a new drive back in and it will recover it. Two drives, I'm screwed. But it, again, it's going to be cold storage from my, I already have a, uh, a device that is, you know, actively up running and where all my media and everything gets stored to that that is, you know, I can lose two drives on that out of the five that's in it. This will just only be turned on once a week to back up the, the other NAS, yeah. but I couldn't turn it down. The, dri the drive price was so cheap. Is, yeah. Oh, that, that is cheap. Um, there is no way to permanently store digital anymore. Have you, I mean, have you really thought about that? I mean, I've, I, there's no reliable way to store digital stuff anymore. Well, if, if, if you, I mean, everything burns out, Todd, um, uh, Amazon glacier, is another good place to put stuff. Um, is that in the cloud, though? Is that it, in the cloud? It's in the cloud. So but you're going to pay a fortune for that. No, Glacier not. No? No, but it's also low access. You're putting it there to store it for the day your house burns to the ground. Okay. That's, yeah, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, so that's... That's interesting. So it's relatively low cost. Um... And it's again, it's it is catastrophic the way I call it. Or you know, most companies are like archiving data there, but for me, Glacier yeah. is like for the day the hurricane comes and blows this place, and I have three feet of water in my home. That's what Glacier's for, um, and it's for the entire stack. But I wanted additional cold storage here, just it, it, I just you know mm -hmm. you get kind of anal. And with all this malware, and what really prompted me, and I know we're going real long here, folks, but this malware is getting so sophisticated at this point that they're starting to use artificial intelligence. There was a, a, a session done at Black Hat that talked about building 5,000 variations of a single malware program within a couple of hours so that the antivirus software could not detect it. 
So when the bad guys start doing this and they start locking our computers up for ransomware and you have to write a check to get your machine unlocked, this is coming. I'm just telling you. This is, there's going to be something globally that's going to happen. It's going to be catastrophic. You, you thought uh, the 2000 bug was a big deal. So with this artificial intelligence and using some of the tools that people are coming up with now, they're going to be able to send each individual a unique piece of malware that is going to invade our entire network. So the reason I'm going to cold storage locally is that mm -hmm. if everything's up and running and we're good and it, this isn't some time bomb thing, that this raid will, will be turned off, not attached to anything, uh, six days out of the week. And then one day a week, mm -hmm. I'll turn it on and incrementally back it up and then turn it back off. And I will have locally a cold storage of all my data, all the computer backups, all the stuff to recover. And maybe I'm planning, maybe this will never happen. But if it does, my pants will not be around my ankles. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can throw the finger to the... Uh the, the hacker. Huh? Well, it's still going to be painful, but at least my yeah. data will be able to be recovered. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's something, you know, I'm just, after hearing this black hat thing, I was like, oh my God. You know, and uh, all it takes mm -hmm. is someone to really put something, and, it's, and Macs are not safe either. There was been some malware variants running on Macs for years that owners never knew about. So, mm -hmm. calling home to mama every keystroke. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the only reason I'm putting cold storage in here. And you don't have to have a raid. You can just get one big drive and back everything up. And But I wanted to be able to be assured that if a drive goes bad, I'll be able to recover. So, you can, just as long as you have mm -hmm. one one big drive that everything's backed up to that you don't have plugged in 24-7. You're relatively safe. But the drive will fail at some point. So maybe two drives. Yeah. In the old days, yep. I used to go to the safety deposit box once a month and swap out a hard drive. But my storage got to the point where I can't put a hard drive in a safety deposit box anymore. I don't have enough room to store it all. <laughs> so anyway... Yeah. All right. Yep. Sorry, I've got on this tangent here. <laughs> Everyone, Rob, how do they reach you? Um, probably the best way, email uh, rob at spreaker.com or rob at robgreenlee.com. Either of those email addresses. I'm on Twitter at robgreenlee with two E's. Um, that's probably the best way. I'm Todd at blueberry.com or at Geek News. Um that you can reach me on Twitter. But I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. We kind of just, we didn't know what we were talking about before we started today. We freelances. How'd we do? We do okay? Freewheeling? <laughs> but you, we're planning we on... We did okay, Todd. Yeah, yeah. Kathy's still, when is she going to come? Is it after Podcast Movement or... Uh, I'm not sure at this point. Okay. So I know she's, so we'll have she's to, been... Her schedule has been, been, been a little crazy. Been busy, yeah. yeah? So we were going to yep. have Kathy Doyle on, but she had a bunch of stuff. You know, it's summer. It's Everyone's busy. Uh, but uh, next weekend will be our last show before we go to go to uh, Anaheim. Yeah, that's I, true. I got to start writing. I get, well, 
basically, I got to complete my presentation. I've been a little bit behind, so that's on my agenda today. Yeah, I have a lot of prep, a lot more prep Whoa. I need to do. Thing yeah, you've got the new media show yeah, the on bug, top of your face. Yeah, the bug moved around. I got. Uh, I don't want to have to send this control surface in to fix that. But okay, everyone, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time on the new media show. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.